You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Today's uh, message uh, I've entitled the, the Angel's Song of Peace. So if you want to just, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, open up to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, and I'm going to ask that you would stand with me as I read God's word. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to verse 20. Let's read God's word. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word this morning that's in front of us. I ask that you would bear much fruit in our hearts. I ask that, Lord God, as we are proclaiming this good news and this shalom that you ushered in, Jesus, I pray that we would get a taste of it this morning. Thank you that we have peace with you through what, through what Jesus has done for us at the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Bear much fruit for your glory in all of our hearts and settle our hearts and drench them in, in your shalom and your peace, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me ask you a question. When do you start listening to Christmas music? You can, you can shout out your answer. Okay. August. <laughs> All right. Hey. Do you know that there are radio stations that play Christmas music all year round? <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> but I'm perfectly okay to start listening to Christmas music right after Thanksgiving. That's me too. Someone shouted Thanksgiving. I'm good with that. And by the way, did you know that Christmas music has been around for many, many years? Since the very first Christmas, actually, um, and that brings us to our series that we're starting today. Today, we launch a three-part Christmas series called The Songs of Christmas, The Songs of Christmas. So starting today, we'll look at 
uh, three different Christmas songs from the Bible that strike right at the heart of every human being. And they speak about something, they point to something that every human heart longs for. I guarantee you, based on God's word, that we all need this message today. And that's not because I'm preaching it, but because God's word is being preached. And it's about something that all of our hearts long for. I guarantee you that. Well, you got me curious, Sophie. What are we, gonna, what are we talking about here? You know, specifically, what's, what's this series about? Well, in a world wrecked and ruined with worry and anxiety and stress and conflict, our beautiful and biblical Christmas song for today points us to the truth that there can be peace. Well, not this shallow kind of a thing that we feel and we feel better for like two hours watching a movie that got us going. No, no, no. I'm talking about this deep, profound peace in God. And also in a world wrecked and ruined with sadness and despair, there can actually be joy. And we will look at, at, at this next Sunday by looking at Mary's Christmas song of joy from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 55. That's next week. And lastly, in a world wrecked with slavery to all kinds of, all kinds of fears and all kinds of chains and addictions, there can be freedom. There can be freedom. Now, we will look at that two Sundays from today, and that's Christmas Eve uh, we will look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 68 to 79, which is Zachariah's Christmas song of freedom. So today we're looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. That's the passage in front of us, which is our first Christmas song. And it speaks to our longing and this aching that we have for peace. Can I be bold enough to ask right at the beginning, ask you a question? How many of you struggle with worry, stress, and fear in this season, and peace is just not in sight? Anyone? And you haven't experienced peace in a while. <laughs> As we study the passage for today from Luke 2, our focus is going to be Jesus, of course. This is a church that honors Christ, elevates Christ. He's our celebration. And in this Christmas song, just like all the other ones that we're going to talk about are obviously about him. But the main verse that we will look at today is going to be verse 14, which I believe is the song. That's the song, which again says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, when I listen to a song that I enjoy very much, I sometimes like to do some research about the song. <clears throat> about the author that wrote it, and the band or the singer that sings the song. And if I like the author and the singer, right, and sometimes they're the same person, which makes the song a lot better, for me anyways. And if I like the story behind the writing of the song, I find that I enjoy the song a lot more. Anyone here like that? Yeah. And sometimes the good songs that we enjoy, only sometimes, I wish all of them would be, would, that would be the case for all of them, have a special story behind them. I believe that we see the same kind of a thing in the passage that we have in front of us today. Verse 14 is the song and the focus of the passage, but the verses around it are the context of the song. The, the verses around this 14, verse 14, are the special story behind the song. Well, that gives the song a lot more meaning. That gives the song a lot more beauty. 
And so before we get fully into the song itself, verse 14, I'd like to look at the story behind the song so that we can appreciate the song more, so that we can understand the heart of the song. Does that make sense? Can you believe that Christmas is just around the corner? I was just talking to Emma like, two weeks and we're there. (laughs) And you know, usually I feel that there's quite some hype about Christmas, which is a good thing. I, I, I like that. I like the Christmas. I like the gifts. I like the lights. I love the ornaments. I love all of that. So I feel that there's quite some hype you know, about Christmas. There's usually a cheerfulness and excitement that you see from people uh, you know, about it. And I remember years ago, we used to get so excited anticipating it too, you know, two months in advance, a month in advance, whatever. And people were more cheerful and merry. But that's not been the case for the last few years. At least that's just my feeling. It's been a little bit different the last few years. There's really not that much excitement anymore. Again, at least this is how I feel, and I, and I think I know why. It's because there's such a lack of peace in our hearts. Our hearts are troubled and plagued with worry and anxiety and stress and fear, and that's been on the rise for the last few years. Did you know that 40 million adults in America, in our country, experience some form of anxiety disorder? That's a lot of people. In the last six years, the use of antidepressants increased by 34.8%. As if it wasn't enough, high enough six years ago. You know what I mean? For 64% of Americans, money is a significant source of stress and anxiety in their life. That's two out of every three people in this room. You're stressed about money. You're worried about paying your bills. You're worried about next month's mortgage payment, and so on and so forth. All the conversations that you overhear now are about the recession that is coming. Well, that's here. It depends how you look at the economy, right? And the conflict that's on the rise, Israel and Hamas and all that, and, and the economy not being able to keep up with the bills, and, and also maybe looking ahead and planning for Christmas. All your thinking about is the conflict that is inevitable as your family will get together over the holiday. And that just robs you of the little peace that you had to begin with. This is the situation with a lot of us, with a lot of people. That's what's happening. And that's why our Christmas song today strikes right at the heart of every human being. And it speaks about something. It points to something that every human heart Every human longs for, and that's peace. I long for that. I know that you do as well. And this beautiful and powerful Christmas song heralds this life-altering and amazing truth that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of conflict and hopelessness, there's a way to grab a hold of peace, but not just any kind of peace, not the way the, the world experiences peace, the real kind. Again, verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So let's look at the story around the song. Let's look at the story behind this beautiful and powerful song. Now, because of time, we are only going to look at verse 14 as the story behind the song. Well, let me just read again verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ 
the Lord. There are three elements that authenticate, I believe, and validate this Christmas song that, that make it what it is, a life-altering announcement. And more specifically, there are three power-packed titles that describe this one born whom the song is about, and that's Jesus. And if we fail to understand these three elements that we're going to talk about today, we will not appreciate the song. In fact, we'll miss the whole point of it. We'll miss the heart of the song. And the first one is this, that he is the Savior. That he's the Savior. Again, I'll read verse 11 just so you can see it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. Now, to be able to understand this Christmas song, to be able to understand this life-giving announcement that the angels herald, we need to understand that this baby boy being born in a manger is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Now, let me ask, what does a Savior do? Because sometimes we'll talk about, oh, yeah, he's the Savior. What does he do? I I don't know. (laughs) He saves. That's that's what a Savior does. He, He saves. Who does a Savior save? Well, those who need to be saved, I guess. But this is the simplest way I can say it. If you have ever sinned against God, and you have, believe me, that's not an offense because all of us are, are in the same category here, you need a Savior. And the Bible is very clear that we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's very clear. Not only looking at the Bible, but looking at our own lives. There's not a single person on this planet that sucks oxygen in their lungs who is without sin. And so because we have sinned, he is a Savior, and he came. And Matthew, and by the way, I'm, gonna, I'm going to have this as a disclaimer I'm going to have a lot of scripture, a lot of references from the Bible, so just hang in there. But at least I gave you a heads up. No one can complain now. But in Matthew 121, the angel said to Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You have it right there. And did you know that only God can forgive sins? That is why God sent his eternal Son of God into the world, Jesus, because Jesus is God. And that's very important. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 9, 6, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Therefore, a Savior was born. But let me ask, what kind of a Savior is Jesus? Well, he's the kind... He's the kind of Savior who not only deserves our every ounce of gratitude. He's not only the Savior that deserves our every ounce of thankfulness, but he is the kind that wins our love. He is the kind of Savior or rescuer who plucks us from fire, the fire of destruction, the fire of damnation, the fire of sin, and who is himself the waters of life. Now, we can go on and on about Christ, what kind of a Savior he is. He's not like a a lifeguard who saves us from drowning and then just hands us off to our family, our parents. There you go. I saved your son. No, no, no. He rescued. His rescue is not like that of 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 a paramedic or a fireman or a police officer or a soldier who was just honorably doing their job. No. But in his rescue and his saving from our eternal depravity and sin and damnation, he demonstrates his personal, covenantal, eternal love for us. 
our salvation doesn't only show his commitment to his flawless plan of salvation, but it shows his commitment to his child, to you and to me. That's the kind of Savior he is. And that's why when the angel announces this and heralds this good news, that's why it carries so much life. That's why it carries so much power and eternal weight. It's not just, ah, yeah, he saves. No, 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 no. It carries a lot of eternal weight, and we, and we need to know this. The second element that we see, the second power-packed title that, that, that we see as the story behind the actual song is that Jesus is the Christ. Not just the Savior, but the Christ. And again, verse 11, just so we can all see it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Again, I say, unless we understand what this means, we miss the heart of the song. Now, just so you know, because a lot of people think that Christ is just the last name or Jesus' last name. It's not. It's not. It actually means the anointed one or the Messiah. John 1.41 says, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. What the angels are announcing is that this baby is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Now we can go on and on and on, but, but this is the one long prophesied. This is you know, the one long awaited, the one anointed above all others. The final anointed king, the final anointed prophet, the final anointed priest. If you remember, we had this series last last Christmas about the three titles of of Jesus. God's people, and throughout centuries, this is centuries of time of waiting and hoping from God's people, and praying and longing and yearning for the promises of God for a Savior. And so beautifully, 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that in him, in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. How beautiful is that? This is not just, ah, a Savior is born. No, 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 the Savior who happens to be the Messiah, the long prophesied, long awaited, the one anointed above all others. And what that means, that all of God's promises are yes and amen. What that means is that he will fulfill all the hopes and all the dreams of his people and more, vastly more, because he is also the Lord, not just the Messiah, not just the Savior, but he is the Lord. And that's the third element, the, the third power-packed title that we need to understand if we want to understand the song. And again, I'll read verse 11 just so we can see that he is the Lord as well. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love what Isaiah says about his lordship in Isaiah 9, 6, 7. And it says, for us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That speaks of his lordship. And then it goes on, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Do you see that? His lordship and his peace and the peace being coupled together. There's a close relationship between the two, which is beautiful. Let me ask, what kind of a lord is Jesus? Have you ever seen Robin Hood? I don't know which one, but I don't know if all of them... Um, show this character, Little John, 
Prince Little John. Anyone remember that? Anyways. Who opposed Robin Hood. He, he, he was a coward. You know, Prince Little John or Lord Little John, however you want to say it. He was a coward who hid from his responsibilities. Jesus is not a Lord like that. He's not a Lord like Scar from Lion King. Right? He, he, he's not like that. Or the, or the white witch from Narnia. He's more like Aslan, right? He's the kind who not only deserves our obedience, but wins our admiration and appreciation because he fights for us and protects us. That's why. He's the kind of king who not, we not only acknowledge with our taxes and military service as you would any lord, right? But Jesus is the king we acknowledge with our adoration and delight and love and appreciation because he deserves it. 1 Peter 2.3 says, Not only have we seen that he is powerful, the Lord of lords, but we have tasted that the Lord is good. He's not a Lord we disregard or despise. Oh, he's coming again. Everyone watch it, you know. But one that we admire. He is a giving Lord, like Matthew 18.27 says, and not a tough and extorting Lord. He is, as 2 Thessalonians 2.16 says, check this out, the Lord Jesus Christ himself who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. That's kind of a Lord he is. So he is the Lord who defeats all of our enemies and makes us safe and satisfied forever. So let's summarize before we get into the song, verse 14. The story behind this powerful song is that this baby that was born is the Savior. That's what we said. That's what the Bible says. The one who takes away all of our sin and all of our guilt. And then he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who fulfills all of our hopes. And then he is the Lord, the one who defeats all of our enemies and makes us safe and fills our every void in our hearts. Now, this is, a, this is such a powerful pact in glorious announcement and good news, it's so amazing that when the angel had announced it to the shepherds in verse 11 and pointed them to the manger where the baby was, suddenly an army of angels appeared and showed up in the sky. Boom. Now imagine that sort of a you know, scene. Now evidently one angel can bring this, you know, can bring this power-packed and glorious news, but it, it, it does not suffice. It is not enough. It does not suit for one angel to respond to this glorious, life-altering, joy-filled news. It's not. That's why it demands celebration from you as well, and all the angels, and all the heavenly creatures. Amen? I mean, the meaning of this news, the ultimate outcome of this news, and the implications of this news, which, by the way, is the gospel. That's what they're announcing, the gospel. It demands an army of angels responding to it. It demands an army of angels celebrating it. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and this is the song, now glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. Now this power-packed news, this glorious news, has two great outcomes. It has two great purposes. Let's read verse 14 again. And by the way, again, this is the song. I'm going to say it over and over again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I don't think that there's a better way to sum up what God 
was about when he created the world or when he came to reclaim the world and save the world in Jesus Christ, the scene that we have right here. You ready for this? I don't think there's a better way to sum it up than it's about his glory and it's about our peace. That's it. If you want to take like a 30,000 foot, you know, bird's eye view on, that's, that's what the creation is about and him reclaiming and saving the world. It's about his glory and about our peace. And this Christmas song that we have in front of us reveals to us that, exactly that. It's always been about his glory, church. It's always been about his glory, and secondly, it's always been about the peace that comes from that and that we all long for. In other words, it's his greatness in our joy. It's his beauty in our pleasure, however you want to say it. Church and friends, the whole point of creation, the whole point of redemption is that God is glorious, that God is magnificent, that God is wonderful, and that he wants to be known and he wants to be praised for his glory by a peace-filled human heart. That's what he wants. Speaking about peace, and let's change gears a little bit here. When the Bible talks about peace, the word peace can refer to uh, the absence of conflict. Especially in the New Testament, that's what you're going to have if you look in the dictionary. It's the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. A wholeness, a completeness, a soundness. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and in the New Testament, the Greek word is irene. But did you know that God made the world in shalom? And we touched on this last Sunday, if you're here with us. God made the world, created the world in shalom. Soundness, wholeness, completeness. And then sin came into the world through Adam and Eve to vandalize and to destroy shalom. But make no mistake, shalom is the world without sin. Shalom is the world without terror and confusion and oppression and fear or suffering. I don't know about you, but I long for shalom. I know that you do as well. When God, has, when God was done with a creation account, and we have this in Genesis 1.31, he said that everything was very good. It was all shalom. It was all whole. It was peaceful. It was perfect. It was right. It reflected the character of God, and then, sin, and then sin came to disfigure, to stain, and to vandalize this shalom. Church, the result of this sin coming into the world, and by the way, we all help with that. Our sin helped with that. The result is that we live in a world that's not shalom anymore. And when the angels are singing this beautiful song and making this life-altering announcement, it's because this is echoing the love of God through Jesus as our Savior. This is echoing the hope of God as our Messiah through Jesus and the protection of God through Jesus our Lord. And it speaks shalom to the people. Because all of these three power-packed titles, there's an intimate correlation between them and this shalom that we're talking about. Now, we have to understand this, that this announcement, this good news, this gospel, ushers in shalom to the people. But church, we have to be aware of the fact that shalom will never be fully realized until Jesus returns back to take us home. We have to understand that. 
But Jesus as our Savior does usher in shalom. And yes, when we receive Jesus in our life as our Savior, Messiah, and Lord, we do experience shalom to some degree, but not fully, not on this side of eternity. Now I have to make this point too, because verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now the old, not sure if you know this, the old King James Version of the Bible translated verse 14, section B, like this. And on earth, peace, comma, goodwill toward men. Very different. Virtually all the modern translations, every commentary, they agree that this was not an accurate translation. It was not. NIV says, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. ESV says, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And ESV says the same thing, and all the other translations say the same thing. The point is that even, even though God's offer of peace goes out to all people, right? The people who receive Christ and trust him as Savior and Messiah and Lord will be the only people that experience the peace he brings, the, the shalom he ushers in. We got we to gotta make sure we know that and we understand that. The reality is that God's peace in Christ is offered to the whole world. We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whomever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But... And, and please hear what the Bible says next so that no one is confused. But only the sons of peace receive the shalom, the shalom, this, this peace, this irene. And no one else. God offers it, but not everyone receives it. And how do you know if you're a son of peace? How do you know that if you're, if you're a part of the angels' promise, peace among those with whom he is pleased? We'll hang in there because I'm giving you the answer in just a little bit. Listen, my desire, as I was praying for your hearts and my heart this week, my desire for everyone here this morning is that this Christmas, this season, instead of conflict and instead of anxiety and, and the stress that you feel from maybe even horrible past experiences with your family, feelings that make you even more unsettled i pray that your that you experience and enjoy this peace that jesus ushers in the kind of peace that the world cannot give no matter how many things you possess no matter how healthy you are and how luxuriously you live but we need to know this that there are three relationships in which god wants us to pursue this kind of peace this peace and experience this peace that he ushers in through jesus christ and the three relationships are as follows. Peace with God. So peace with God. Peace with ourselves. And peace with others. That is crucial. Now, I want us to look at each of these three peaceful relationships briefly. But before we do that, we need to understand that the key to each of them is not to separate what the angels kept together. What am I talking about? Well, the glory of God... And the peace that you long for. We got to keep those two together. Let me explain. When we look at the New Testament, and I wish I had the time to read all the verses that I'll mention here, God is called the God of peace. That's one of his names. 
We have this in Romans 15, 16, Philippians 4, and so on and so forth. Also, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. That's a very well-known verse, John 14, 27. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, 14, that Jesus himself is our peace. Interesting. If we look at all the verses, it is crystal clear that the peace of God or the peace of Christ can never be separated from God himself or Christ himself. You cannot do that. If we want peace to rule in our life, if we want peace in our hearts, if you want to experience and enjoy peace in our life, God must rule over our life. Christ must rule over our life. God's purpose is not to give you peace separate from himself. His purpose is to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. Does that make sense? So the key to peace is keeping together what the angels kept together. Glory to God and peace in your heart. Glory to God and peace to men. Here's a nice way of saying it. A heart bent on showing the glory of God will know the peace of God. A heart inclined on pointing to the glory of God will experience the peace of God. And what holds the two together, namely God getting glory and us getting peace, ready for this, is believing and trusting the promises of God obtained by Jesus Christ himself. Romans 15, 13 is one of those fundamental texts pointing to this crucial role of faith in our life. And it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, and believing. In other words, the way God's promises become real for us, the way God's promises become real, you know, and produce peace in us and through us is in believing, in believing, when we believe them. And that is true whether we're talking about peace with God, that's true when we're talking about peace with ourselves and peace with others. Now let's talk about the first relationship and the most important one as well, peace with God. Do you know that the most basic need that we all have is peace with God? And that goes for absolutely every person on planet Earth. And also if we get this one wrong, we get all the other relationships wrong. Ever wonder why you don't have peace in your relationships with others? Well, it's probably because your peace vertically with God is severed. There's something going on there. This is foundational to all of our pursuits of peace. If we, don't, if, we don't, if we don't go here first, all the other experiences of peace will be superficial and temporary. Kind of like the peace the world gives. Now the key passage here is Romans 5.1. The word of God says, I love this verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how clear is that? Justified means that God declares you to be just. You're in right standing with a holy and a perfect God. That's what it means. And he does that by imputing. He does that by assigning to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I love the verse where it says that he who knew no sin, Jesus, he became sin that we would become the righteousness of God. And he does that by faith alone. Since we have been justified by faith, Paul says. So it's not by works. It is not by works, church. It's not by tradition. It's not by church membership. It is not. It's not, 
It's definitely not by the parents that, that raised you and the fact that they brought you to church Sunday after Sunday. No, no, no. But by faith alone. When we believe in Jesus as the Savior, the Lord, and the ultimate treasure of our lives, this beautiful thing happens. We are united with Christ, and his righteousness is counted by God as ours. We are justified by faith. How amazing is that? And that's why when we asked earlier, how do you know if you are a part of the angel's promise? Well, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How do you know that God is pleased with you? That's what we're asking. It's all because of this union with Christ. Where his righteousness is counted by God as ours. That's how we know that the promise of peace is for us because we have been justified by faith. Because he is pleased with Jesus and so he is pleased with us because of this union that we have in Christ now. God's anger that was coming toward us because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our depravity. It has been absorbed by the sacrifice of Jesus when he took our sin upon himself. So God's wrath deviated from falling on us and it fell on Jesus because he was the sacrificial lamb that substituted us. The great exchange. So our guilt and sin problem is fixed in Christ. God's wrath is absorbed in Christ. God adopts us into his family on the merit of Jesus Christ. And from now on, all of God's dealings with us are for our own good. He will never be against us. He is our father. He is our friend. We have peace now. We don't need to be afraid anymore. Amen? And because we have peace with God, we can begin to grow in experiencing peace with ourselves too. And this is the second relationship that we need to experience peace in. And what do I mean by experiencing peace with yourself? Well, I include any sense of guilt here, or anxiety, or fears, or stress that tends to paralyze us, to make us hopeless. I'm referring to worries, threats, confusions, uncertainties. All of these things are, they threaten our peace, they steal our peace. And let's not forget that here again, believing the promises of God with a view to glorifying God, with a view to honoring God in our lives is key. It would be very silly of me to preach a message on peace and not to reference Philippians 4, 6, 7. It's one of the most precious passages in regards to peace. Hear are these verses again. Do not be anxious about anything. The opposite of anxiety is peace. So he's saying have peace. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, he's saying roll your anxieties onto the Lord. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now the picture that we have, we have here from Apostle Paul is that our hearts and minds are under assault. <laughs> they are. You feel like that? Yeah. Guilt, worries, threats, confusions, uncertainties. Your mind playing a billion scenarios that bring you such uncertainty. All of these things threaten our peace. They cannot coexist. 
And Paul says that God wants to guard your hearts and your minds. And what does, how does he guard them? He guards them with his peace. He guards them with, in a way that goes beyond what human understanding can fathom. When we do this, when we press into his presence and we come to him, and we remember that we already have peace with him. Remember, we talked about it through what Jesus has done for us, right? We remember that. And when we trust him as our loving and almighty heavenly father to help us, his peace comes, right, comes to us and steadies us and protects us from this, this disabling effects of fear and anxiety and guilt. And then we're able to carry on and God gets the glory because we trusted in him. That's how it works. I want to encourage you that you would press into his presence in prayer and do exactly what we were saying here. This Christmas, take your anxieties to God. Roll them on your, you know, onto your Lord. Tell him about them. Ask him to help you to restore your peace. Church, the most encouraging and helpful thing that I can say to you today is that if you're dealing with worry and anxiety and fears and uncertainties, you need to memorize these verses so that you'll remember to trust in him. Additionally, for some of us, what we've done is we've prayed that God would solve all of our problems, and we should. I think he's honored by that. That we would go to him and, and ask, Lord, change my circumstances, please. He is our healer. He is. He does heal. He does change our circumstances a lot of times. But the bigger reward is when God's peace comes in and guards our hearts and our minds as we go through difficult situations. That's a hard thing to swallow. Because what God is saying is that you need to want my peace more than a change of circumstances. And that's when you experience real growth and that's when your Father in heaven is most glorified. Remember, that's what we're going for, right? When all you need to know is that he's with you more than a change of circumstances. And remember, that's what we're going for. That's what the angels are calling, are telling us. To do. He gets the glory and we get to peace. And the more he's glorified by us, the more we experience that peace. Not a change of circumstance. No, glorifying him and honoring him and trusting in him. So this understanding... This acknowledgement, this trust that your peace comes primarily from God's presence and not the absence of your problems. And believe it or not, some of us are sabotaging ourselves from experiencing this peace of God. Because I've resolved in my heart that until this problem in my life is fixed, I will not experience God's peace. No, 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 God, you fix this problem and then we'll talk about peace then I'll be happy to experience your peace. It doesn't work like that. And what God is asking us to do is to trust, to trust him. And as we trust in him, he gets the glory. And then God's supernatural peace is activated in your troubled hearts, my troubled heart, and this peace will guard our hearts and our minds. Think about this as, as setting up a defense system in your soul against the onslaught of anxiety and stress that, that fiercely keeps coming at us on a daily basis. That's what this is. And as we're pressing into his presence in prayer, and as we're spending time in the word, our trust in him grows. He gets the glory, and we get the peace. 
Lastly, the third relationship where God wants us to experience his peace is in our relationships with other people. This is going to sting a little bit. And to be honest with you, this is the one relationship that we have least control over. Your mind is already going to, oh, that, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. (laughs) Him, her, geesh. I get to see him for Christmas. Ooh. So we need to say it carefully the way Paul does it in Romans 12, 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, the reality is that for many of us, when we get together with family for Christmas, there will be some awkward and painful relationships. And some of the pain is very old and it goes very deep because God's peace has been missing for years. It's very messy. But some of the pain is new. It's nuanced differently, you know. But nevertheless, here's the truth that that will hit a little hard in our hearts. In some relationships, we are just baffled and do not know what the path of peace calls for. We just don't know, man. I've tried enough. I don't know what to do in this situation. Anyone there? But in other relationships, and I think in most relationships, you know exactly what you have to do no matter how hard it is. Am I right? No one's saying anything. That means that I'm right. (laughs) Now, what is true is that in both cases, the key is trusting the promises of God, but check this out, with heartfelt awareness, with heartfelt intentionality of how God forgave you through Christ. Ooh. I think the text that puts this together most powerfully for me again and again and again is Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, which says, Let all, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Ooh. This is why it's so hard for us to do this, to let go of all the offenses to let go of all the pain that they've, they've done to me, you know, and to not live with an offended heart. That's why it's so hard. It's because we're, we're not continually, we're not consistently cultivating a sense of amazement and a sense of awe and humility that in spite of all of my sins and depravity, God has forgiven us through Christ. Church, this is what it means that the gospel is central in our lives. We need to be amazed that we have peace with God. Me? A sinner? Wow. Are you amazed of that daily? It's the sense of amazement that I, a sinner, have peace with God. And this attitude of humility and amazement makes the heart tender. It makes the heart kind. It makes the heart forgive. Do you know... Do you know why it's so hard for you to let go of an offense and the pain that others caused you? It's because you're thinking too much about that pain. But not the pain you caused Jesus when your sin nailed him to the cross. That's why. Church, the same grace that God extends you, extend it to others 70 times 7. It may be thrown back in your face. Oh, yeah, sure. It certainly was thrown back in Jesus' face on the cross. Wouldn't you say? 
That hurts and it can make you bitter if you're not careful. Don't let it do that to you. If you forget anything that I said this morning, please remember this one. Keep being more amazed at your wrongs, that your wrongs are forgiven in Jesus than the fact that you were wronged. As a side note, no one can wrong you as much as you've wronged Jesus and still he forgave you. And now you experience peace with God. So keep his glory as the highest of your callings. Keep his glory as the highest of your missions in life, the highest of your pursuits, and not your success or your effectiveness in peacemaking in your other relationships. First things first. And then you will be like the angels. You'll have things in the right order in your life and in your heart. Glory to God in the highest is the first thing. And then peace among his people is the second thing. Church, this is why Jesus came, our Savior, our Messiah, and our Lord, that God would get all the glory and that you would get all the peace. May the God of peace give us peace, and may he get all the glory. May we never think of a better Christmas song. May our hearts never sing another Christmas song other than glory to him and peace on us. I'm going to pray, but I want us to do um, this special thing for about a couple of minutes. I want you to think of a person in your life that does not have peace with God, does not know God, is not saved maybe rejecting the gospel, maybe rejecting Christ and his love. We all should have at least a person. I want you to think about one person that doesn't have peace with God. And I want us to start praying. You, you pray where you're sitting just for this person. And in a minute, two minutes, would you take a short journey to the back where we have the Christmas tree and there's a basket there with some ornaments. And I want you to write this person's name on that, on one of the ornaments and hang it up on the tree. And I want you to pray for this person throughout the Christmas season for the next few weeks. Would you do that? Well, let's commit to this. Let's be faithful to this. Pick one person, write the name, hang it up on the tree. Um, I'll pray for us, and Raz and James are going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a couple more songs, and you can do this as they, they're singing too, but Raz is going to get us back to our seats. Let's stand. I'd like to pray for us. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.